The Lord knows what's best for his bride. And I think that going through the book of Romans is exactly perfect for the context of our world right now. Our world is a mess. The state of the union is not okay. People are hurting and confused, desperate, lonely, and without direction. Every day, people are choosing the broad road that leads to death instead of the narrow road that leads to life everlasting with Jesus Christ. When I first became a Christian, and for much of the seven years that have followed, I studied theological reasons why faith in God and his word is reasonable. Daily Bible reading in the morning and apologetic study every night. For years, my spouse was very adamantly against faith in Christ. I needed to know what I believed and why, and I needed the truth to combat the lies that I was hearing. Our world world is full of lies about who God is or isn't, how our world came into existence, and lies about the fundamentals of what makes us who we are. So the resource page that I provided to you gals has a lot to do with that. I want you to feel equipped to be able to deal with a society and a world that is constantly bombarding us with lies about the Lord. So you'll find some definitions up at the top, which we'll cover through the study, um, and theological arguments for God and what why we believe in him. And then also some website resources, our sweet Sela, alwaysbeready.com. That's uh, Charlie Campbell's site. I read that website probably every single night for two years. I would click on one of the things and I would read. Um, and then on the back, you'll find YouTube resources. And <clears throat> I, if you look at nothing else on this page, I certainly encourage you to go to Living Waters. It has top five most moving evangelism interviews. It's about 12 minutes long, and it's beautiful. And you see what happens in the heart of a person who is cared for by a Christian, who shares the gospel truly, and then the lights get turned on. And that conversion moment, it is so encouraging. So I hope you ladies look at that. If all of this feels overwhelming, I apologize now. I don't want you to feel boxed in or that you have to tick all these boxes in order to be a good Christian. That's not the point. Um, I just, Satan has just launched a smear campaign against God, and it started in the garden, and it continues to this day. Some of it is blatant anti-Christ, and some of it's very sneaky, little erosions of morals and ideals. So this is for you to take home and to be blessed by. Let's dive in right away. If you can open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, we will read... I'll give you a second. Okay. Only one second. Starting at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. 
for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Verse 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. We need to pray. That's a lot. (laughs) Lord, Take this time. This is your time. This is your word. These are your women. Communicate your message and communicate it clearly, Lord. Affect our hearts. Affect our minds. Teach us, Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Okay. So, our study this week asked us, who needs the gospel? And Paul's response is a resounding, all, everyone needs the gospel. I need the gospel daily. You need the gospel daily. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It gets worse from there. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's the problem. That's humanity's problem. And we need to know the problem in order to appreciate and desire the solution. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For God so loved the whole world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever should believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I really hope you gals had time to look at the study this week. It is rich with God's truth. We must have the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The days are dark and growing darker. But we have the light of Christ in our hearts and in his word. So as we go forward, that resource page I shared with you has some big words and some apologetics terms in it. I want you to bear with me. Um, We're going to go through facts and get to the heart at the end. So taking from our study this week, I wanted to investigate deeper and attempt to achieve the goals that was laid out for us. So I hope you have your pen and your notebooks and things to jot down um, some notes. Number one, we had discover the reason for God's wrath and what that means for our world. Number two, consider the consequences of exchanging the truth for a lie. And number three, embrace how the gospel changes everything. So number one, what is the reason for God's wrath? We see it right in our text, starting at verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. <clears throat> Referring back to our study, we had um, keywords or um, words to know. Suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Suppress in the Greek is katecho. I think I got that right. It means to hold back or hold down, to deliberately silence. What truth is being silenced? That we may, that what may be known of God is manifest in them, in us, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. So it's the truth of who God is, And that he is. This passage and others like it is where we get what is called the doctrine of general revelation. That that, the meaning is the teaching that God has revealed himself to all people in a general way. Regardless of whether they have access to a Bible, heard of the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. I switched that. Or heard the name of Jesus. How has he done this? Okay, so verse 19 shows us that what may be known of God is manifest in them. Manifest in the Greek is phaneros. It means shining or apparent, clearly apparent to the sight or understanding, readily perceived by the senses. And the the, the word in is en in the Greek, It's a preposition denoting a fixed position, 
The knowledge of God is fixed inside of us. And that's every single person. So what we find in just these few words is that God has placed the knowledge of himself inside of us. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 tells us that we are created in the image of God. Therefore, the knowledge of God is imprinted upon our hearts. So the other way that God has generally revealed himself to us is through his creation, the world all around us. Just like a building reveals that there is a builder and a painter reveals that there is a painter, creation exposes the undeniable fact of creator. Psalm 19 opens with, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiworks. Any person, anywhere, can go outside, look up the sky, and see the incredible work of God. The enormous expanse, The clouds that fill with water from the earth, purify it, and then return it back to the ground to quench the thirst of plants and animals and people. Imagine Abraham standing outside being told by God, number the stars, if you can. Only an all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God could have created all of this. So looking at our text... What can we know about God from his general revelation? It shows us right in verse 20. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. What are they? His eternal power and Godhead. So, God has specifically revealed his eternal power and Godhead. Eternal power in the Greek is idios. Dunamis, idios, his ever-during, ever-present, always forward and backward, eternal, everlasting. Dunamis, miraculous power, ability, abundance, might. And then Godhead, Theotos, is divinity, divine. God's given us this beautiful double dose of his amazing heart by not only putting the knowledge of himself directly in our hearts, but he also revealed himself clearly through his creation. We can look at the human body or flowers or trees, the ecosystem, dogs, cats, snails, the vastness of the oceans. All of this points to a God that is all powerful, all-knowing, wise beyond understanding. He has created time, so he must be outside of time itself. Therefore, he is eternal, ever-during. Clearly, this creator is not a normal human being. He's divine in all ways. The wrath of God is justly revealed against mankind because he has provided irrefutable proof for his existence. And mankind chose and continues to choose to worship that which was created over the creator himself. All throughout time, people have rejected God. They have suppressed the truth and ungodliness, which is a neglect of God. And unrighteousness is a disregard for what is right. 
What scripture is telling us is that in order to come to the conclusion that either the worship of creation or the worship of self, which is our modern idolatry dressed up as atheism and evolutionary ideology, is a suppression of what we know in our hearts to be true. So going back to our resource page, I want to share with you gals those theological arguments. They sound really big. They sound like there's something maybe we can't reach, but we can. Because we already know these things instinctively. So number one, the cosmological argument. It's basic statement. Things that have a beginning have a cause. If something starts, something must have started it. The universe has a beginning, therefore the universe has a cause, and that cause is God. Number two, the teleological argument, or specified complexity. It states, if something is designed, it requires a designer. The purposeful organization and structure that we see in our world could not have happened by chance. And then the third, the axiological argument, or the moral argument. It states, because there are moral values, there is a moral God. I heard a teacher switch that. He said, because there is a moral God, there are moral values. James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. This God, who clearly revealed himself in a general way, took it even further. He has provided specific revelation, first through the prophets and scripture, and then through his own son, Jesus Christ. I've been told that if God would just come to earth and make himself known, then it wouldn't be so hard to believe in him. He's done that. God the Son stepped out of heaven into the mess of this world to redeem humanity from our own sins. God has made himself completely available to all who would seek him. Are we beginning to see the reason why God's wrath toward mankind is justified? A holy God has no partnership with sin. Romans will later bring this into greater focus for us, but what we can see now is that this holy God made provision to deal with our sin and grant us access to a loving relationship with the creator of everything. I was going through the one-year Bible this morning, and obviously stuff popped out that I absolutely had to share with you. I promised myself I wouldn't do this, but God put it on my heart. So in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is such a beautiful picture of who God is. Sometimes we can get a little soft and fuzzy at church, a little soft and fuzzy, even in, especially in women's ministry, where we have a loving God, a gracious God, and dare I say sometimes a teddy bear God. He's not those things. He is a holy God. Merriam-Webster defines holy as exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. Isaiah 45, 18, 
For the Lord is God, and he created the heavens and earth and put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord, he says, and there is no other. Isaiah 47, 4, our redeemer, whose name is the Lord of heaven's armies. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is loving. He is gracious. He is kind and he is good. He is just. He is a warrior. He is a king. And a holy God has nothing to do with sin. I got to turn my page. How about we deal with the other part of that original question? What does this mean for our world? What do we see? There's a famous atheist, some of you may recognize the name, Richard Dawkins. He calls the belief in God, the God bent. He believes that this is leftover evolutionary ideals that are no longer needed in our modern society, and that those who still believe in God just simply haven't evolved as quickly as those who do not. That is exactly the point Paul is getting to when he says in verse 21 to 23, because although they knew God, They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Richard Dawkins is also quoted as saying, biology is the study of things that appear to be designed. This man is a very intelligent man, and yet his heart and mind are unfortunately darkened because of his rejection of God. Professing to be wise, he became a fool. Lord God, help that man and all like him. Let's contrast Mr. Dawkins with an account from the life of Helen Keller. For those of you who are not familiar with her, she was born in 1890. And due to a very serious illness, Keller was blind and deaf at the age of two. She lived in a world of isolation, silence, and utter darkness. Unable to speak or hear or see unable to know anything about the world. But Helen Keller knew God. In letters written between Keller and her friend Bishop Philip Brooks, Keller revealed that she always knew God. She knew that he was always there for her. Before she could call God anything, she was aware of his presence. God had no name for her because nothing had a name for her. But in her darkness and isolation, she knew that she was not alone. Someone was with her. She felt God's love. So when she received the gift of sign language 
and first heard about God, she already knew him. She just learned his name. A world that rejects God's existence is a world that is darker than the silent, utter blackness that Keller experienced in her early life. And do we not see that? God is neither welcomed in the courtroom or the classroom or millions of homes across our country. Society as a whole has exchanged the truth of God for the lie of moral relativism. The lie of evolutionary molecules to man indoctrination and a God fashioned in man's own image. The rejection of God permeates every level of our society. We see civil unrest, riots, murder, sexual immorality, government officials that lie and cheat, suicide rates that are higher than they have ever been in our history. Sex trafficking is one of the biggest problems that faces our entire world. The sale of little boys and little girls, men and women for sexual exploitation. Good is called evil and evil is called good. Number two from our goals, what are the consequences of exchanging the truth for a lie? Verse 24 through 28. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than, than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. It is a very chilling thing to read, God gave them up, or God gave them over. That means that he has removed his influence from the hearts that are bent on destruction. But it does not mean that he has removed their ability to turn and repent at any moment. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. First John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This section of Romans shows us a progression from bad to worse. It starts with the vertical rejection of God and then moves into this horizontal rejection of all that is good and right. 
God gives these hearts over to the lust of their flesh, and they dishonor themselves sexually, either homosexually or through transgenderism, through pedophilia, through relationships outside the confines of marriage. Given over to a debased mind, there is an exchange for what is good and right, for what is evil and wrong. Let's read 29 to 32. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. The ultimate consequence, or excuse me, lest we allow our hearts to be hardened toward unbelievers, let us remember the author of this letter, Paul, who was once Saul, self-described as a persecutor of of God's people, proud, angry, full of murder in his heart. When he writes these things, he writes them with much sorrow, love, and a desire to see men and women saved from this darkness and brought to the light and life of Jesus Christ. Reading through these verses, I see my own testimony. I exchanged the truth for a lie. I was given up to vile passions and a debased mind. I was filled with all of it, unrighteousness, sexual immorality, envy, murder, pride, and deceit. I was undiscerning. I was untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful. What is the ultimate consequence for the rejection of God? It tells us right in verse 32 that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Death. Eternal death separation from God, outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do we see the severity? The wages, the payment of sin is death. They are not our enemy. Unbelievers are such as we were, which Paul will go into further detail in the next chapter. Our culture is so divided, and that is not an accident. The enemy desires to keep us away from the countless souls who are in his clutches. The polarization of us versus them is palatable. May we, God's girls, women of Calvary Vista, be different? Can we look at the homosexual community, the transgender community, with love and compassion, not condoning their sin, but gently and truthfully sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? Are we able to interact civilly 
and politely with compassion and a heart to save the lost who are outside the faith. What about those who have different political views than us? Can we love them? Can we share the gospel with them? The enemy wants to keep souls in the dark. And he wants to keep Christians useless for God's kingdom. Let's not let him. God's word says that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. Before we move to our final point, I want to relate something to you that I ran across this past month. A Christian woman, she calls herself a Christian woman, I knew a few few years back, I'm still connected with via social media. She shared the following on her um, social media account. So I quote, As most of you know, I am an ally to the LGBTQ community and have been for some time. I am the regional area rep of the LGBT caucus of the Democratic Party of State. I have attended pride events and am a giant advocate for people identifying their gender and sexual orientation in any way that feels real for them. Then she includes a, a paragraph written by her teenage daughter, about 13 or 14 years old. This paragraph is written by my daughter. I came out to my mom, dad, and some friends as a pansexual about three months ago. For those of you who don't know what pansexual is, it pretty much means that I like all genders and don't care what you have in your pants. Back to the mother. We are incredibly proud of her and 100% supportive of her journey. I know that there are some on my social media friends list who, for some reason or another, do not believe that we should be encouraging her to be her own person in this way. To you all, I say, my daughter has her own relationship with God, herself, and the world around her. And frankly, your opinion simply doesn't matter to me. End quote. There, but by the grace of God, go I. We must know what we believe. We must know what God's word says. We must be Bereans, women who search the scripture, who study, who make God and his word our top priority. Some of us are grandmas, some of us are aunties, some of us are moms, some of us just have friends with kids. We must be firm in what the word says. We have people watching us. We have little ones who we are training up. This Christian woman is suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Matthew chapter 7 Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, 
I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There are eternal consequences for exchanging the truth for a lie. No one is exempt from that. Hebrews 12.1, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come. Let us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, lay aside deceit, gossip, envy, sexual immorality, pride, unforgiveness, strife, and the like. Philippians 2.12 Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God has graciously and lovingly given us his word that renews our minds. It fixes our stinking thinking. Through Bible study, through prayer, through accountability to the body of Christ, and through the spirit of God working in us, we are able to make our election sure. Never resting on God's work yesterday, but having a dynamic and loving relationship with him today. And every day. I feel like the time has just sped along so fast. We have one more place to stop. Embrace how the gospel changes everything. First, what is the gospel? I was thinking about this and I wanted to kind of provide you with the long version. God, who is holy, just, kind, and merciful, created the whole world. It was perfect. He created a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. They were perfect. They walked with God and talked with him directly. God had an enemy, Satan. He hated God. Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve and They fell for it. God gave them only one rule to follow, and they broke it. He told them not to eat the fruit from this certain tree because the fruit would give them the knowledge of good and evil. Upon eating that fruit, Adam and Eve became filled with the knowledge of every sin listed in this Romans passage. Such things had never entered their mind before. This knowledge would now pass on to every person born from them. God's perfect world was now tainted. The reverberation from that event has echoed throughout the centuries. Sin had now entered the world and it cursed everything. But God had a plan. He made a promise to Adam and Eve, and to all mankind, that he would send a rescuer to defeat the enemy and to return people back to God. 
All throughout scripture, we read hints of this rescuer and we see foreshadowing of who he is and what his character is like. The rescuer came. He was fully God and fully man. His name is Jesus. Born of the Virgin Mary, placed in her womb by God himself. Jesus, the Son of God. Perfect and completely sinless. He came to earth to pay for the sin debt of every person that would trust in him. The payment of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He died on a Roman cross like a common criminal. An excruciating, terrible death in order to pay our debt on our behalf. Only sinless perfection could cover our debt. And only death would suffice as payment. Three days after Jesus, the Son of God, died, he rose from the grave, thereby enabling everyone who puts their trust in him the ability to not only have right standing before God, but also life everlasting with the Lord in heaven. I shared earlier that reading through this section of Romans is like reading my own testimony in the pages of scripture. I see in print the state of my soul without Christ. Every point that God Paul or that Paul made applied to me in one way or another. But God. I was a woman who chased after sin with zeal. I did drugs. I was sexually immoral. I became an alcoholic. I had an abortion. But God, he met me right in this room. He rescued me from sin. He rescued me from shame, from death. I have been made new by Jesus. He changed my heart in an instant. I am no longer held captive by my sin. My understanding is no longer darkened. And I am not given over to a debased mind. Now God is continuing to work on my heart, changing it slowly over time to reflect his own image. Before we conclude, I want to take a moment to speak to some specific women. There are potentially some women in this room or online who have read through Romans this week and felt utterly defeated. You read through those sins and you saw yourself. The accuser of the brethren, our enemy, started a campaign of condemnation against your heart. Don't listen to him. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have repented of your sins, they are gone. You now stand before God covered in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You are redeemed. You are restored. You are renewed. Walk in the freedom that Christ brings. This applies to you whether these are sins from your past or your present. Godly repentance leads to life. 
If you have not put your faith in Christ Jesus, today is the day of salvation. If you are struggling, please connect with somebody after Bible study tonight. I would love to speak with you. The gals available for prayer would love to pray for you. Online gals, reach out to your group leader. You will not find judgment. You will find love and restoration. Okay? Okay. The purpose for this portion of Paul's letter is threefold. One, to present the problem that all humanity faces and why we need Jesus. The second is to clearly state why God is justified in his wrath toward mankind. And the third, I believe, is to awaken within us the evangelical heart that reflects God's heart, who desires none to perish but all to be saved. Paul personally and radically experienced how the gospel of Jesus Christ changes everything. He was dead in his sin and trespasses. But when Jesus showed up on the road to Damascus, Paul was transformed. He put his faith in the risen Lord Jesus rather than in himself. That is why he wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. We were dead, and now we are alive. We were headed for hell, And now we are headed for heaven. Who needs the gospel? Everyone. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I am with you always to the very end. Matthew 10, 21 to 22. Brother will betray brother to death. And a father, his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Our Lord Jesus has brought us back from sin and death, and he has commissioned us to shine his light in the dark world. He has commissioned us to share the truth and love to those who need to hear. What greater purpose can our lives serve than to share the love of Christ to those who are dying? They are not our enemy. Satan is our enemy. Sin is our enemy. Death is our enemy. They are people made in the image of God. They are deceived. They are hurting. And they need somebody to risk their own comfort in order to share the love of God with them. How do we embrace the fact that the gospel changes everything? We live our lives in obedience to God's word. And we share who he is and what he has done to all who need to hear it. We share the gospel. We share our own testimony of transformation by faith in Jesus Christ. And 
we equip ourselves by studying God's word so that we can be prepared to give a reason for why we cling to the hope of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you are good and you are kind. And we thank you, God. Thank you for these beautiful women who you love so much. Lord, bless them. Keep them. Fill them with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Comfort their hearts. Renew their minds. Comfort my heart, God, and renew my mind. We love you. We give you all thanks and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. That was one brave girl. Who's going to say amen to that? That was one brave girl. Uh, When we were praying over who should share that message, um, hallelujah. I remember seven years ago, Jess, right here, right here. You were right here crying your eyes out. Mm -hmm. And what a testimony. And I know everyone in this room has somebody, right? You have somebody who's in the throes of it. Could you just stand up for a minute? We, we've got a power-packed next little section, and we need you to stretch a little bit. And just stand up for a minute. And um, as we stand for just a moment, uh, last week we talked about I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God. And she doubled back to that. And as we looked at what's going on around us and realized uh, that it was some of us, we know, we know that God can reach into the darkness and pull us into his marvelous light. I'd like to call up Nicole... Right now, Nicole, there you are. Nakamura, is that is that good? I did it, okay. Um, she's going to, um, I've been thinking about this night and what we've just looked at. Uh, the, 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 the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Who wants to say amen to that? Amen. Who wants to say double amen to that? Amen. And he just has a bullseye on the back of, I think, women and children, teenagers, grown-ups, everyone. He is the roaring lion. And so tonight, um, we need a lioness that has true conviction of the lion of the tribe of Judah to equip us. This section is to equip us, to inform us, and to equip us. And we're going to finish this night with Holly Nelson will pop up right after her, and she's going to give her testimony. Because sometimes, just like Jess, we need to see living proof. Are you in despair about somebody right now? Are you in despair that God can't reach them, that they'll never come to the light? We need living proof. So, um, st- well, if you want to stand while Nicole's speaking, I want to. I- I'm, I want to be fighting mad right now. I want to be fighting mad. I want her to fire us up. And so, uh, yeah, 
We'll just turn you loose, Miss uh, Nicole. Can I hold this mic? Yes, you may hold it. I'm loud enough without the mic, guys. You don't even know. Okay, so I was, I was pleasantly surprised that Jess um, had something of current culture to read to you guys, that email from her, or the, the post on social media, and the 13-year-old's idea of what her truth was. And uh, using her example to you guys from that social media snippet, I want to give you an example of a word that I'm going to teach you um, in responding to that. So that post that she read is something that I see all the time. Uh, That's total common practice for the season of life that I'm in in terms of the age range of the kids that I have. And I'm very immersed in the culture. I read every single text and I'm on all my kids' TikToks and their Instagram and we talk about everything and my kids do touch the world, but I'm touching it with them. And because of that, I am seeing all of the things that they're seeing and all the things that their friends are seeing and all of the things that my friends are not seeing because they don't want to see what their kids are seeing, because it's really ugly, and there's a lot of work behind it. Um, And you can't really keep it from your kids. You can do your best, you can lock them in a box, but it's really, really hard to keep the culture away from your children if they're going to leave the house and you have electricity. So um, in in the statement that this teenager said, I can just imagine on... Um, this social media platform, the 47 comments that dropped below, because this woman is obviously Christian, and she has Christian friends who are going to disagree with this point of view. And so, as I've seen many, many times, I'm sure that there was comments rebuking her position, and there was comments in support of her position. And I'm sure one of the things that was in support of her position is, all of you Christian women who are coming on this amazing woman, this loving advocate of other creatures created in God's image, coming on here and slamming her daughter, shame on you. Who are you to judge this girl? She is 13 years old. She's figuring out who she is. Her mother loves Jesus. She loves Jesus. Who are we to hate other people? Who are we to say that this is not okay? What position do you have? Are you living in their home? Are you walking in their shoes? Do you know their struggle? Do you love her less now? What position do you have to pass judgment on this girl? Do you pause? Do you pause at all when someone rebukes you in your position of judgment? How about the movie Cuties that just came out? I don't know if any of you know what that movie is, but go ahead and Google it because there's a tiny little picture of what's going on outside of your protected home. So cuties is this terrible, sexually explicit, pornographic, child-exploiting movie that just came out. You know my position on it, right? And um, I have friends who don't agree with me who are Christian. And it's on Netflix, and I canceled Netflix because of it. And um, I'm not into cancel culture. I don't think it's rational to have an emotional knee-jerk response to something that you disagree with or disapprove of and then shut it down. I think you should be patient and you should research and you should see what the other uh, Christian authorities, I guess you could say, are respected Christians within your community are saying about it and how they respond to it and just give it some time, let it sit and see how is the world going to respond to this. Is the world going to reject this very clear, disgusting display of child exploitation? Because if they are, great. 
there's some slight redeeming quality of this world, right? But no, that hasn't uh, been what's happened with this movie. And so, um, you know, I posted on canceling Netflix, like shame on cutie, shame on Netflix type of a thing. And I got some responses back from a woman. And this is so interesting that you shared this because um, I have this written down to share. I have a, um, a woman who was a mentor to me Right after I got saved, I was 18, and I, I quit my job as a server who I was having an affair with a guy I was working with, and I needed to get out of there. So I quit the day after I got saved with no backup job and started looking for something that um, fed my spirit, something that met the calling that God put on my life. And so I looked for a daycare to work in because that's my calling as kids. And I got a job at a daycare I was freshly saved, and the woman who ran the daycare was Christian. And um, she spoke so much truth into my life. She was such an amazing example to me, and I really kind of held her on a pedestal as someone who influenced me in my walk when I was very fresh and could have easily been swayed to um, some heretical um, paths that were presented before me. And this is the woman who commented on my post, telling me I did not have a cultural understanding of the goal behind the movie and you know in the end she ends up deciding she doesn't want to be this nasty dancer and you need to understand the cultural context of it and you know the ends justifies it blew my mind and if I wasn't so rooted in what I knew to be true because of the position that I held her in in terms of an influencer on my heart and life and walk with Christ, I would have paused. I would have paused and I would have questioned, well, wait a minute, does the end justify the means? This is bringing awareness to the sexual exploitation of children, is it not? I mean, it's, it's doing what the director wanted it to do. So that pause right there, when you're getting pushed back from the culture, when you're standing in a truth that you feel you know is true, that's called gaslighting. I don't know if you've heard that word before. I've heard it casually over the past six months and just kind of attribute it to maybe the riots that are going on or arguments within politics. But I looked it up after I heard a woman on Instagram elaborate on it and connect it to this particular um, release of the movie Cuties. And the definition of gaslighting is to manipulate by psychological means to cause someone to question what they believe to be true. Their reality in this case, being God's truth, is the reality. So I gave you that example of cuties, and I'm so glad that Jess also had a very real-time example of um, something that one of her friends posted on and is not standing on the side of truth in that. And that's the point, that the position that we base our truth on needs to be God's truth. If we don't know his truth, then we will be lit, we will be gas-lit by not only this culture, but by the original gaslighter himself, who I'm sure you can all guess who that is, right? Satan is the OG gaslighter, as I have recently heard say. And did God really say, are you sure you heard correct? As the original sin is as old as creation of time, he is constantly causing us to doubt the truth that we know. And ladies, if we can't shout back to, did God really say, do you really know? If we can't shout back with the resounding yes, and then tell why, like you said, to always be ready in and every season, then we are truly in trouble. And not just us, 
but our children. I have seven. The oldest is 18 and the youngest is four. And I have never been more aware than now as to the importance of knowing truth. Knowing God's word, knowing his character, and recognizing it when it's not him. As much as there is an attack on the minds and the hearts of Christian adults to question their truth, there is an even greater attack on the hearts and the minds of children and our grandchildren and our nieces and nephews and all of the youth of this country. You can do all things short of locking them in a box, like I said earlier, and culture will touch them. We live in culture. You may have a a mini culture within your home, but your kids don't stay in your home. And maybe if they're really young, you can control everything they see and everything they hear and everything they do, but that will one day go away. Sadly, it will one day go away, and you will no longer be able to control the culture in which they view. We are living in this world. So how do we not become of it? Acknowledging God, giving him thanks, as the scripture said, right? Acknowledging him and giving him thanks. So as not to be given over to our evil minds, our foolish ideas, a darkened thoughts, our confusion. But we don't stop there. We move to the command to train our children. Now, Christy Duff is so famous for saying, we can't give our kids what we don't have. And I love it, and I'm never going to forget it. And I could see her tiny, adorable voice up here just We can't give our kids what we don't have. Read the one-year Bible. I love it. And I will never forget it. And it is completely true. And the first time I heard her say it, I was terribly convicted. Because I do know truth. And I have been saved for a while. And I, I wasn't raised in the church. And I have a deep disgust and fear and distaste for all things prior to Christ. I know how serious it is to be a Christian. And my greatest fear is that because my kids are raised in a home where Christ is normal and love is normal and fear is not, that they don't understand how dangerous it is to step out of that. That is my biggest fear, is that our life is good and they don't get it. And they might slowly step away. And that's where this gaslighting process can easily come in because we live in this comfy place. And if I am not bringing the hard black and white truth, like Jess said, God's holiness, his kingship, the seriousness of Christ, then they get comfortable with this teddy bear God and they're not so easily convicted of their walking slightly away. So what is my passion? My passion is to empower women of all ages who have any influence on a child to embrace the power and the freedom that comes with the truth of Christ. I am so tired of parents taking a backseat to their parenting job. Like she said, we need to train our children. Well, training is not easy. It is not easy to train for a marathon. It is not easy to train ourselves to get up Early in the morning and read our Bible, it is not easy to train a habit away from ourselves. Nobody ever said that it's easy. And it's not going to be easy to train our children either. What I want to implore you guys to do is to get uncomfortable with your parenting. God does his best work with us when we're uncomfortable. My trials are not comfortable. But that's when I grow the most. That's when I'm closest to the Lord. I feel like 
so many parents are afraid to have a tough conversation because they're worried that their kids won't like them. They don't like you. They're going to not like you. It's the way that it is. And actually, if they hit a point where they don't like you, you're doing your job because they're not your friends. They're not your friends. I always tell my kids, I'm not your friend. You got a lot of friends. I got friends. I got your dad. He's my best friend. I don't need you as my friend. I'm here to parent you, and I am accountable to the Lord. I don't want to stand before him one day and say, well, I was intimidated by the relationship that I was having with my kid, and I felt like I was stifling their independence and making them feel bad about themselves, and I just, I didn't want to give them boundaries because then maybe they wouldn't like me and they would think I'm so mean. One of the analogies I use with my kids is if we had a dog and we went to a giant park and we just let the dog go and we knew it wasn't trained, how good of an owner are we? We're not very good owners, are we? And, and so using applicable, rational word pictures with the kids is really helpful in gaining a relationship, growing a relationship with them of understanding of logic of wisdom so that when a rule or a consequence or whatever comes down, then they're not pushing back on the authority. I trust the Lord in his chastising of me because of his past relationship with me. His chastising in the past has resulted in fruit in my life, and so therefore I trust him. And the chastising in my kids' lives is done with a a holy desire to cause them to be more righteous. And so developing that relationship with them while maintaining an appropriate parenting-child relationship, I guess, I mean, you are the authority, helps to develop that for when they do get older. And if you haven't done it yet, it's not too late. Now is a better time than any to purpose to begin To muster up the courage to have the hard talk, to lay the boundary, to train them, to hear your voice, and to obey. One of the things that I tell all of my kids, and some of them need to hear it more than often, and I apply it to myself too, is that if you can't hear my audible voice of instruction giving you something clear to do, how in the world are you going to hear the silent voice of God speak to your heart? If you have not trained yourself to submit to a higher authority that has your best interest, that is looking out for you, how, even as an adult, have you practiced the skill to be able to yield to the Creator when He can't speak to you out loud? It's just training your child. It's just training your grandchild. And if your child isn't training your grandchild right, Step up and do it. Let them be offended at your interference in their parenting because your grandchild's soul is dependent on it because I'm telling you what they're fighting against right now, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. Do we care more about people being offended by us or having their feelings hurt by us when we do something in love, or do we care more that they're going to walk away with the enemy? And I wasn't always bold at parenting, and I cared for many years what my oldest thought every time I came down on him because he was very, very, very hard. And then COVID hit, and all of them were home all of the time, and I was just like pressed, and I'm like, 
all right, well, it's time to just hail Mary. Like, let's just do this. And the conversations that I have had with my kids over the past six months have been more beneficial, more powerful than in all of my 19 years of parenting. It is a privilege to be able to parent right now. If you have a kid, consider this time a privilege to be parenting because you will never again, probably, hopefully, you guys, ever be forced to be in your home with them and have to talk with them about racial tension and sexual identities and you're forced to watch what they're learning for history on Zoom. I mean, if you weren't having a conversation with your kid about history and what's being taught in public schools, you have the opportunity now. This is, uh, gates are open. The information is flooding into your home, into your kids' lives, and this is the best time in history to be developing a relationship with your child and empowering them to hear the voice of God, to understand what causes death, spiritual death, and to be able to communicate to them the gospel so that they can go out into the community and they could go back to school when Zooming is over and they could talk to their cousins like one of the girls who came up here two weeks ago and said that her cousin brought her to church and witnessed to her. That's an empowered child. That's an empowered teen. And that's ultimately our goal at the end of the day is to empower them to do the things that we seek to empower ourselves to do while we're reading his word. That's the goal, right? So I just want to give a word of encouragement to all of you ladies. I just want to pray really quick over all of you. Lord Jesus, anyone who's watching online, God, all of the women in the um, sanctuary tonight, Jesus, I know that each one of them has someone on their heart, Lord, that they are burning to... um, speak life into Jesus, a child or a teen or maybe even a young adult, Lord. They need prayer and they need intervention and they need truth to Jesus. So I pray that you would embolden all of us, mothers, grandmothers, aunts, teachers, Sunday school workers, Lord, to um, just have your power, God, of truth, that you would help us to be uncomfortable in our training. Whoever that training may be, Lord, whatever that younger person is, Lord, help us to be uncomfortable in our training. Help us to care more about the soul than the feelings at the moment, Lord Jesus, that you would just light a holy fire of um, anger at the enemy and a fierceness for our children, Lord. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Give us a brokenness for where they're at, Jesus, so that when we meet them, we can meet them right where they are at. That is a supernatural thing that you can do for us, Lord Jesus. Some of us, you got to take us way back, way back to meet that 12-year-old, Lord. And I know that you are faithful to do that, and your heart is for the children, Lord Jesus. And so I just thank you now for the conversations that are going to take place over the next week, over the next two weeks, Lord, over the next five more months of being at home with kids, Lord Jesus, that you would empower us, make us bold, and give us your fire for their salvation and your truth, Lord Jesus. Amen. Wow. So I totally got gaslit by the enemy and everything that Jess said, I'm going to share with you guys 
what happens when you let the enemy take you down that road for a long time. But like Jess said, but God. So I'm going to share the hope, the healing, and the purpose that God showed me after he poured water on me, literally, to put that gaslighting fire out. My hope, well, first of all, I'm a really slow learner, and I went to church for years before I got saved. And I was one of those women, like Jess spoke about, I was pulled out of the pit when I was saved. And my salvation experience was not fireworks and harvest crusade, altar calls. My salvation experience was curled up in a ball, in a fetal position, on my bed, alone, begging God to change me, begging him to help me. And... He did, and I knew that the minute I got saved, I knew I was saved. I can't explain it. There was just this feeling, and I knew I was saved. But what I want to talk about the most tonight is what happened after I was saved. So I came to church. I was here Monday night. I was even a Bible study assistant leader, I was here Wednesday night. I was here twice on Sunday. And I sat here for nine long years collecting guilt and shame and condemnation. And I just didn't get it. I was not growing. I was not experiencing what you were all talking about. Abundant life and joy and resurrection power. I wasn't experiencing that. And I knew that I was missing something, that I just wasn't getting it. And I look back now and I realize it was because of, of, of the many sins that I committed. It was because of one sin that the enemy condemned me and beat me to death with as a Christian woman, and that was the sin of abortion. And I felt like I had crossed a line. I felt like I was a second-class Christian. None of you were talking about it, and I certainly was not going to tell you. So I sat in my little pew, when there were pews here, for years, and just hoped that nobody found out. But one day, that all changed. My life changed. But before I share what happened, um, I I, I knew I was missing something. And I wanted the Lord. I wanted him. I just didn't know what the problem was. So I started praying, and I was challenged to... Read my Bible every day. 
not just while I was at church, and to journal. And so I thought, okay, God, if you're real, I'm going to do this. So I started reading my Bible every day on my own, not coming to church and being spoon-fed. I was digging for myself. And I would journal, and I would wait. And I would read, and I would journal, and I would wait. And sometimes I wrote a whole page. Sometimes I wrote two words. But I was bound to determine that if God was going to show up, I was going to wait long enough for him to show up. And I was driving in my car, and I was listening to the radio, and I heard this pastor say something that I will never forget. He said, when you don't share your testimony, you rob the body of Christ from healing. And I thought, I am never going to share my testimony. There is no way I am ever going to say in church who I was and what I had done. But I kept that in the back of my mind. And then the day that, that changed my life was there is a very sweet woman here who said to me, Hey, I'm going to U-Turn for Christ and I'm going to teach. Would you like to come along? And I thought, well, sure, I'll come along. And I thought, I can pretend. I can act like I'm this godly Christian woman, woman that I did not feel inside at all. And I had no idea what was coming. <laughs> um, and so we're in the car and we're driving and there's three of us. And... It was Debbie Bryson, who I was with, and she looked at me and she said, so, what's your story? And I panicked. I panicked. I was trapped. I was in this car. We were going 60 miles an hour. I couldn't jump out. I couldn't excuse myself. There's nothing I could do. So I had a choice. Am I going to lie or am I going to tell the truth? I was so burdened with guilt and shame and condemnation. I couldn't carry it anymore. It was too heavy. And so I chose to tell the truth. So I told her my story. And I don't remember saying this, but she reminds me that it was like a, um, a knee-jerk reaction. I said, as soon as I was done telling my story, I said, And now I know you're not going to love me. And I don't remember saying that, but she got really mad, really mad. And she wasn't mad at me, but she was mad at the gaslighter because she knew that he had been condemning me all these years and that she knew what he had done. And then, if that wasn't bad enough... We're talking, and we're almost there. And she said, you know what? I think you need to give your testimony publicly tonight. (laughs) And I was like, what? I just, this is the first time I've ever shared this. And you think I should do this publicly. And you know what? It was out there. It's like the Lord, it's like I was already feeling less heavy, and I thought, okay, it's a drug rehab. Everybody there has done everything I have done, so I can share this. 
And I did. I got up there and I shared my story. And I don't even know what I said. But guess what happened? Women came up to me afterward and said, you just, you just told me my story. And I realized for the first time that I was not the only one that was feeling this way or that had done these things. And then I come back here and I find out the people sitting right next to me were being condemned and beaten to death all this time too. And this started my healing process. And James 5.16 says, Confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And it's the confession. It's when I opened my mouth. It was no longer a secret. It was no longer buried alive trying to get out. So I chose to face this fear and this thing and this enemy head on. And I started devouring the word. And I started being in the word every day, even more so than I was. And I journaled and I started growing in the Lord. I, and this is a whole nother story, but I um, took a Bible study that was specific to abortion so I could understand what God had to say and what he had done for me and what I had done. And it's all the things just talked about. But I started growing closer to God and I started growing closer to you. And that pain and that fear diminished. And Debbie told me this, and this is another thing I don't remember, because, you know, when somebody's observing you, They can see a lot more than you can see. But she said, you know what, Holly? You cried and you cried and you cried. For years, a couple years, you cried. And then one day you just stopped. You were done. And yeah, that's exactly what happened. And that is as the healing progressed and as I started, started realizing that I was created for a purpose, God started showing me what my purpose was. And 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 says it perfectly, and it's really all of our purpose. As God comforts us, we comfort others because we are comforted by God. And I was so comforted by God that he loved me and he knew me intently and he still accepted me and had a plan for my life. And so at this point now, I know exactly what I was created for. And my purpose is to counsel and disciple women out of guilt and shame and condemnation and into God's love and his comfort. And now I get to be the one that's in the car or in the courtyard or in the counseling room or at coffee or at work or wherever, and I get to say, what's your story? 
and on and on it goes. It's like the domino effect, you know? Um, and I love seeing women set free. So if, if anybody, I don't know if they're online, but if anybody here or anybody online can relate to anything that was said to by any of us tonight, please don't sit in your chair for nine years and hide. There is help. And I have, um, I have some resources that I brought, um, and you probably all have a copy of it, but there are some amazing Bible studies online. This first one is Healing Hearts, and this is the one that I went through that was specific to my abortion. And they have actually, they actually have counselors that are on the other end of the counseling thing, um, the website or whatever, and they will actually go through this with you. And I don't know how much time I have, but just a tiny little story. I went to Israel for sex trafficking with a team that Debbie Bryson took, and there was prostitutes, and we, there was this one prostitute that was at this conference, and I hid from her, and I told myself, self, stay on the other side of the room. Don't go near her because she looked like Cleopatra and she was loud and she was just, she scared me. So I intentionally stayed away from her and I walked around a corner and one of my teammates said, Holly, I have to go here. This is Karina. And it was her. And I have to say, I fell in love with this woman She took me out in the bus stop, and she shared her story. And anyway, a couple years later, she got saved. But I got to go through this Bible study with her in Israel and me here. And it was just, it's amazing. It's an amazing Bible study. And then there's also another one. Um, It's called The Hymn of His Garment. And that has to do with anything Healing from your past. It can be past trauma. It can be sexual abuse. It can be many, many things. Um, There's some really good books and groups. Go in Peace is a a retreat that actually Jesse and Angela Hernandez do. I think they have one coming up in November. And it's for it's for just past um, trauma, past issues, things that you're stuck with. And then there's also the woman's skills, which I haven't taken that class, but I understand it's absolutely amazing. Um, it works you through your past to understand your identity in Christ, healed and set free which is also another amazing one, um, Grief Share. So there's lots of resources, and there's lots of people here that want to help you and can help you. And let's not let the enemy do any more damage than he's already done. Amen?
I know this was a lot of listening tonight, but the truth is, women, the men can't talk about this with us. We're the ones. We're the ones that um, that need to minister to each other. And we have to be confident that there's power in the love of Christ. That we need to be confident that God, I, I have walked up to women or teenagers, um, teenagers, men and, and uh, boys and girls, and because God put it on my heart and said, I know God has a plan for you, that you're beloved in his sight, and that all you have to do is call upon him, and he'll answer you. Women of God, we are the ones to bring the love of Christ. Um, you know me, I got tracks. You know me, I got tracks. <laughs> it's evident. It's hardwired, as Jess said, in the soul of every living creature. They know evolution is nonsense. They know it. This little DVD is so powerful. I told you last week, if you watched it online, you you could come and get one here. I'm over that. You can have one tonight. I need you to watch it. I need you to come back next next week and want two of them to, to run people down. Do we have the words of life? Do we not? I'd like you to stand up right now. Who wants to be part of this? Spread in the love of God. Okay, in the name of the Father and the Son of, and the Holy Spirit, I deputize you to go. Lord, we hold up our hands to you, God. And we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit just right straight through our body and give us the courage of a lion. That we'd just be spitting mad. We'd be spitting mad at the enemy who's pulling this off. And God, that we would be vessels to speak healing and hope and your love to a lost and dying world. And we pray in Jesus' name. And they all said, amen. God bless you.